This is episode three of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. I have promoted the concept of silver inspirations. Briefly, these are people that inspire the rest of us to view our aging with a more empowering paradigm when compared to the typical culture around us. These silver inspirations, through their examples, show us what is possible and what we can strive for as we progress in the second half of our lives. They tend to break the mold of what it is to be the age they are. You can read more about this special group of people at theinnergameofaging.com forward slash silver inspirations. That's no spaces there. For today's episode, I am talking with Mr. Len Smith, one of our first Silver Inspirations. Len and I have been talking with each other for several months now, and he has intrigued me for several reasons. At 71, he remains extremely active and engaged in life and the lives of others as well. Yet, he has personal experience with several conditions typically related to aging. In his story, you will hear how he has addressed a condition of macular degeneration, which has been considered an incurable age-related eye disease. You will hear him mention how he was able to ride a bicycle 100 miles in a single day after undergoing open-heart surgery five months earlier. And you will also hear about the passions that connect him to the world of Alzheimer's and other dementias. So let's join my conversation with Len Smith, already in progress. You've had a very strange relationship with um, macular degeneration. It's not like most people that I've heard. Now, I know very little about this, this condition. Why don't you tell me a little bit about it, if you will? Well, first of all, there's two types of macular degeneration. There's what's called the dry and then the wet. The dry makes up between 80 and 90% of all macular degeneration, and the wet makes up the rest. The wet is treatable, though God forbid I don't want to go through it. They literally put a needle through your eye on a regular basis to the back of it. And I see people getting this, and their eyes are red and watery. Um, And I'm not talking right afterwards. I'm talking days afterwards. And then there's the dry. Both of these, they degrade what's called the macula. It's about a quarter-inch diameter in the back of our retina, and it's responsible for center vision. Center vision. Center versus central. uh, I'm looking right at you at the computer now. And if I had macular degeneration, I wouldn't see you nor the computer. I'd have peripheral vision off to the side, but I wouldn't have center vision. And ultimately, we become pretty blind. Um, If I'm understanding that correctly, 
the glaucoma conditions tend to take away our peripheral vision, whereas macular degeneration tends to take away our central vision. Did I understand that correctly? It takes away our central vision, correct. So if I have both glaucoma, my peripheral vision is affected, and macular degeneration, I'm just about worthless. <laughs> well, in your advanced macular degeneration, you're worthless too. Um, okay. I had three uncles and an aunt died blind of it. My, their mother, my paternal grandmother, and her mother all had it. And that's how I got interested in, could I get it? And mm -hmm. um, October 1994, just a few months after my 50th birthday, I was diagnosed with it. And um, that's pretty scary because mm -hmm. they had no cure, no nothing. And what really got me, I mean, I've had a fortunate life, and that was one of the more fortunate things because a month later, November of 94, the groundbreaking study in the Journal of American Medical Association came out. It was a five-year study showing that the two um, what we call carotenoids, there's over 600 carotenoids in our diet. Most people are familiar with beta-carotene, for example. Mm -hmm. But the two that you really should know about are lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N, and Z-exanthine, Z-E-A-X-A-N-T-H-I-N. Well, and let's let's step back even. What is a carotenoid? A carotenoid is a substance that our well that, that life uses. They're tiny little substances for various purposes. Okay. Um, and for example, beta carotene, the body converts to vitamin A. Hmm. And we see in Africa, particularly called xerophthalmia, where kids don't get enough vitamin A and go blind. Hmm. It's a sad, and I, I knew a, a Dr. Solomons who was very heavily involved in trying to dramatically reduce the incidence of xerophthalmia. Okay. And, um, okay, so now we know what a carotenoid is. It's one of the elements we need for living. Yes. Beta carotene is a good. Or for being and, healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now back to macular degeneration. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just no trying to cover all the bases of of ignorance that I have or my audience might have. So, um, okay. So now you found yourself in when you're hitting 50 um, with diagnosed with macular degeneration. Can you continue from there, please? Okay. So this groundbreaking study came out in the Journal of American Medical Association showing that eating foods that are high in these two carotenoids dramatically reduce the incidence of people getting it. And just an FYI, the foods, there are others, but I like to use the acronym CASK, just like a wood cask, C-A-S-K. That stands for collard greens, arugula, spinach, and kale. And those are the more common. Other ones, there's mustard greens, but there's no L in cask, i.e. the lettuces don't have it. The green leafies generally, but not lettuce. Okay, okay. And that's um, – I started eating a lot of that, and now you can get those in, in – um, those two carotenoids in supplement form. 
Mm-hmm. And just an aside, Lee, that I want to interject. Nature sure knew what she was doing because, and how important these are. When a woman breastfeeds, the first two weeks, the colostrum is in the milk. And the colostrum is light yellow. Mm. And the reason it's light yellow because of the lutein and theaxanthine. Oh, really? Yes. And the lutein and theaxanthine, the nature wants to get it in there and knows we need it. And trust mm-hmm. me, it's not for our eyesight. It's for our brain. And that we'll talk uh-huh. about another time or later. Okay. But um, so – Interesting. Yeah, and then – it's never even after the colostrum has stopped being produced. There is lutein zeaxanthine in uh, mother's milk for the yeah. entire time the baby's being fed. Interesting. So none in formula, which bothers the daylights out of me. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't get I, me going. <laughs> yeah, don't get me going either. Yeah. <laughs> so I believe in breastfeeding. Ditto. So so now. Here you are, 50, diagnosed. The study comes out in 1994, indicating the, implicating these two carotenoids as instrumental in preventing macular degeneration. Not preventing. I need to clarify. Reducing the chance of getting it. That's okay. a, a key. Preventing, to me, is it cures it, and I believe now it does, but at the time, it reduced the incidence of it if you okay. took these. What was the next step in your journey here with macular degeneration after the study came out? My next step was to take these and then a vitamin supplement came out called OcuGuard. Um, I came out, it was another five-year study, and it, it was, the study came out in 1995, and it showed that it stopped, virtually stopped, macular degeneration without the lutein xanthine, xanthine, because when they started the study, they didn't know about it. And um, versus the people who weren't on it, who were on placebo, that continued to get worse at a rapid rate. So this OcuGuard tend to reduce or reverse the effects? Is it that... tended to stop it where it was. Stop it, okay. okay. It didn't reverse it. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, my conjecture was, well, what happens if you put the two together? It's sure not going to hurt me. So yeah, that's yeah. what I did. When you had mac- when you were diagnosed, could you actually see the change in your eyesight? They give you what they call an Amsler grid. It looks like a quarter inch graph paper with quarter inch mm-hmm. of squares on it. And there's a central dot on it. And you look at that central dot and with macular degeneration, some or a lot of the lines, the more advanced it is, a lot of the lines are very wavy, blurry. Mm. I was starting already to see wavy lines. Okay. okay. And that was very definite that I had okay. wavy lines in so. my right eye, not in my right eye only. Okay. 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 So continue with the story. It's starting to get interesting here. So you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have you, this drug, OcuGuard. You have the carotenoids. Uh, vitamin, vitamin, not a drug. Okay. Yep. OcuGuard is a vitamin? It's a vitamin supplement. Yes. It's a, vitamin a, a multivitamin. Okay. And then, and then with the carotenoids, you put these two together. Continue from there. I'm, you're starting to intrigue me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and the other thing, there was a lot of conjecture back then whether blue light contributed to macular degeneration. Blue light is the highest energy light in the visible spectrum for us. Mm -hmm. And so I found out about and started wearing blue blocking glasses. They're sunglasses. Yes, so when yes. I'm out in the sun, I have, a, to this day, blue blockers. Mm -hmm. And I get them their prescription. And I mean, if I look at the sky, it still looks blue, but it's dramatically reducing the amount of blue light getting into my um, macula, which one of its other functions of the macula is to reduce the amount of blue light getting into the brain. Mm. And so that I started doing, as I say, to this day, I wear blue blockers when I'm outside. Interesting. Okay. Maybe I should start doing the same. <laughs> uh, when, you're now, when you're riding your motorcycle, absolutely. But, you know, you mentioned blue light. A lot of blue light or blue spectrum comes off of computer monitors and things of that sort. And well, so, we have blue light, but the high intensity is really coming from the sun. Okay. Okay. So you are attacking this thing on three fronts. Well, you know, four fronts. Oh, there's still more. Well, this was dumb luck, uh, and that was – this came out later. Let me put it that way. They, I do something very dirty, and I hope that people won't mind. It's called exercise, and <laughs> they've shown that exercise, like it does for the heart, the lungs, so much of the body – also helps reduce the incidence of macular degeneration. And I started serious bike riding in September of 94. Just I had to give up running because I got injured so easily. Mm -hmm. And so I've done probably, you don't have to be crazy like me. You have to move around, do things. Yeah. Uh, probably since then, I've done 140,000 miles on a Wow, on a bike. that's that's quite impressive. Not a you motorcycle know, like you, but a bike. <laughs> yeah, I ride a motorcycle, but I enjoy my motorcycle. But you know, I'm a strong proponent of exercise and fitness. Yeah, you, and, you're you great. Know, you, you do it also. Uh, so you know, like you know, you, you're preaching to converted when you're talking about it's not a dirty word. It's one of the miracle drugs. Exercise is one of the miracle drugs, as far as I'm concerned, in the modern society. Yeah, so. But um, okay, so you have you've attacked this thing on four fronts now. Yes. And what's tell me more about how this unfolded? Well, what was interesting, my ophthalmologist, who uh, he wasn't taught any of this in medical school, he kept saying to me, "Len, I can't believe this, but your spot, as he called it, the macular degeneration spot, is getting smaller," hmm. and. Fifteen years later, in 2009, he said, Len, you don't have macular degeneration anymore. And I had my last ophthalmology exam January this year, and it's gone, still gone seven years later. Interesting. Now, is this something that norm this doesn't normally happen? Or, I mean, this is unusual that it... Very Usually unusual. When, Very unusual. Okay. I went to a conference on carotenoids at Tufts in 2011, and it, when the coffee breaks, I was talking to an ophthalmologist and telling him my story. And he mm -hmm. looked at me. He said, Len, there aren't five people in this country that could say what you're saying. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's so I mean I'm 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 sort of speechless. Through diet, exercise, and just basically taking care of your eyes with the blue these four these four attacks, so to speak, I call them. Right. You you've done what others were trying to do for a long time, trying to address, treat, or even reverse macular degeneration. Correct. And I reversed it. Do you think this is repeatable? I do. Now, uh, if it's, I'm, I'm sort of, the question I want to ask is strange. You've had a very unique experience with this condition. Other people, and perhaps this podcast will help spread the word, but other people should know this. Have you exposed this to others? I have, I have a, email I've sent out to a lot of people who I'm sure have also sent it out. So I'm trying to get the word out, but I'm just one little guy and I'm not a PR specialist. Yeah. But I will talk about this to anybody. And when I give talks for the Alzheimer's Association, I managed to bring this up and there's several people always come to me afterwards. What do you do? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me see if I can get your prescription, so to speak, you know, cause one day I might be diagnosed with this and I want to use lens prescription to now I'm into the exercise already. There's any particular, you were doing, you know, um, bicycling and I do lifting and other stuff. Is there any type of exercise that you might recommend over the other? No, I would – you want to be moving. And then yeah. more and more it's coming out. Don't sit in front of your TV. Get up and move. Absolutely. Do things during the day. Absolutely. Teachers, I've had teachers complain. You don't know how hard it is to stand five hours a day. Well, now it's – coming out that's probably one of the best jobs you can have because <laughs> you're on your feet five hours a day uh, and just how this exercise craze started is interesting it was a study in london of bus conductors versus bus drivers and if you remember the hmm. buses in london are double deckers the conductors are on their feet all day. The drivers are sitting all day. That's right. <laughs> we're not saying they're doing marathons or triathlons. The conductors are moving all day. <laughs> and at the end of the study, the difference in everything, cardiovascular health, diabetes, longevity, was night and day difference with positive for the conductors. And doctors like Dr. Cooper jumped on this and said, we should get out and do marathons and triathlons and all that. <laughs> but the doctors are starting to revert back to, no, you don't have to do that, but you do need to stay the heck out of a chair and move around. And yep. you know, I, I joke at the Alzheimer's talk, because the same is true for Alzheimer's. Now, our diet, our diet. Talk to me about the diet you use, the diets that you recommend others use if they have such a condition. You mentioned cask. Yeah, you want to get, I do probably two, I do a, a vegetable stir fry for most lunches when I'm home. Mm -hmm. And in there is two to three servings of collard greens, 
uh, spinach and kale. Mm-hmm. And it's they argue, is kale better than spinach and vice versa? <laughs> well, I'm one of these people, till it's totally definitive, I'll do both of them. Yeah, and, okay. <laughs> um, I, I do that now more, I mean, I don't want this to come back, but more importantly, as I, I keep referring back to, because it's too, I don't, or so uh, comparable, mm-hmm. you know, I'm doing it now to hopefully ward off Alzheimer's. So ah, we'll get into that, yeah. as I said, or okay. we said earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just basically eating healthy. It's, you know, like... Very much so. This is the way we're supposed to eat anyway. Now, if we have the diet we're supposed to have, we get these carotenoids in a natural way. Um, You also use a supplement, uh, an extra vitamin. Is this... What role did this vitamin play in your procedures, your protocol, or in your recovery? If I look at that study in 95, I think what it did, it stopped it where it was. Ah, okay. And then over the next 12 years, uh, or 13 years, it, you know, now the carotenoids and everything could start reversing mm-hmm. it and bringing it back to healed. Mm. So, by the way, I, I do want to comment that. I had I sent this out to somebody, and his mother came back and said, "Well, 15 years, I'm going to be 100." And, <laughs> you know, why should I wait? And my point is, with what we know today, it's you can do it much faster. Remember, there weren't supplements. I take yes. a supp- I also, in addition to all this, I take a supplement of lutein, zinc, xanthine with my breakfast. Okay. And I am, I just can't take that chance again. Sure. So. There's more that can be done. There's a product called MacU Health, M-A-C-U Health, and you can Google MacU Health. Okay. And if I still had it, and I suggest this to people, I would go right for that and take it. Now, it's interesting because your story suggests the following interesting question. Is macular degeneration a question of our diet? It, you know, uh, it's coming out. Our diet. I, I believe it is. I believe it's, and so much is a question of our diet. Absolutely. Heart disease, Absolutely. diabetes, uh, Alzheimer's is coming out as a diet. Yeah, and, that's a new yes. one that some yeah. I want to talk to you about. Oh, I'll, my wife's father and now her sister both had rheumatoid arthritis. We started dating 26 years ago. And about a year after, I became a vegetarian. I haven't had red meat in 27 years. Wow. Uh, But there is now shown a high correlation of red meat consumption and rheumatoid arthritis. I'm believing that myself with my own experience. My wife suffers from arthritis, and the more she improves her diet – Improvement could be a subjective term, but the more she improves her diet, the less she suffers with this. Does she have rheumatoid or osteo? I think it's osteo. And so, um, but, you know, I tell her, please, Deb, keep on moving. Keep on, whatever you do, don't stop moving. I don't care how much it hurts or whatever. Just keep on moving and eat as well as you can. 
And she's, in the past two years, I've watched her suffer less than I have in previous years. She's had it for a long time. I say it's osteoarthritis, but I'm not really sure. I'm not attentive enough to know for sure. It could be rheumatoid. Yeah. Uh, chances are it's osteo. That's for I'm loaded with osteo. Well, she's had this for many, many years. She's had, you know. Uh, ditto. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And after we're done here, I'll talk to you. I thought I did flex now. Flex uh, now. I haven't had discomfort in, since '05 when I started taking it. Forget pain. I haven't had discomfort. Okay, I will. I'll talk to you about that as well because yeah. Okay, so getting back to the macular degeneration, now you've had tremendous success. We suspect that our diet contributes to the occurrence of macular degeneration. Has that anybody ever done any studies to indicate this that you're aware of? It's fairly well known, and it's funny because when I, when the doc, when my ophthalmologist said it's gone. <laughs> He said for the first time, this is 15 years ago into him, and I think he's a great ophthalmologist. Don't get me wrong. I think he's great mm -hmm. uh, technically. He said, now here's two things to make sure that you take. One was L-U-T-I-E-N. He misspelled lutein as mm -hmm. he wrote it for me. Okay. And the other was zinc. And Wiseacre Me said, and how much? He said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, because, again, he had just heard you should take lutein. Mm -hmm. and he, didn't, he didn't comment on zeaxanthine, which I think is more important. Interesting. Well, you know, Len, I've got to say, um, you and I have been talking for a little while. We've become friends now. And when I met you, I was impressed. One, you're 71, 72. And, you know, you... Four weeks for 72, so I'm 71. 70, okay. <laughs> You've become one of um, our silver inspirations. You were on a bike um, or heading to a bike when I met you. And I was just impressed with... The things we were talking about in our first, the first time we met, uh, you know, you're you're intriguing me with this macular degeneration thing, but it's spilling over to one diet, and now even Alzheimer's. the The diet we have uh, in in America is well, that's going to determine the health we have, and we've seen a number of increases in so many of our health conditions, obesity in general, diabetes, you know, Alzheimer's, arthritis, you know, we, we all face chronic conditions as if it's expected, as if it's part of aging, and I have a hard time believing that all the conditions and chronic ailments that I see is part of aging. I'm not sure. It's hard for me to articulate why I have a hard time believing that this is a natural part of aging. However, you know, like your cure of macular degeneration, what we now know about diet, you know, the elements of our diet and the effects that can happen to our health as we consume this diet, you know, Type 3 diabetes is now called the precursor to Alzheimer's. Well, actually, Alzheimer's has been called in research type 3 diabetes. Let me just correct Okay, that. okay. Thank you. Thank you for that correction. Now, there's a very high correlation 
between people who have diabetes and the incidence of Alzheimer's. And when I say Alzheimer's, let me just speak. Dementia is a condition where we lose our memory. There's over 70 types of dementia. And the most common form is Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is just one form of dementia. Okay. But there's vascular dementia caused by strokes. They can be many strokes you don't know about. Mm -hmm. And we're reading more and more about uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. Whoa, what's that? (laughs) That's what the uh, NFL football players are getting Ah, in droves. Uh, There was a autopsies of 91 deceased NFL players, 87 had this. Wow. And it's, we've got to do something. Now let's, let's, let's take this on a slower pace. One, um, we opened up by suggesting, we opened up on this topic by suggesting that Alzheimer's and our diet are connected. Now, um, if that's the case, that means we can do something about it much more dramatically than we thought we could. I have been told that Alzheimer's is not treatable. We cannot predict we'll get it. You know, these are hard things for me to believe. And so um, you're telling me something that's a bit easier for me to swallow. It's the way we live that brings about this stuff. Yes. So, um, and, and that's something that I can more easily believe than it's what you do when you get older. I have a hard time believing that. Alzheimer's and these sort of chronic conditions and ailments are not part of natural aging. And I'm a strong proponent to find out the causes of these things rather than just blaming it on getting older. So type three, let's define type three diabetes. It's just a name that some researchers came up with in 2010 to to define Alzheimer's that came from people who had diabetes. Okay, okay. In other words, the diabetes caused the Alzheimer's. Okay, so now diabetes, is that, is that, am I hearing that correctly? That diabetes will bring on Alzheimer's or a certain t- I mean, Again, I hearing that correct- to talk, it has a higher incidence. People okay. who have diabetes have a higher incidence. Okay. My maternal grandfather died of diabetes, but he didn't have Alzheimer's. My okay. mother had diabetes. She had Alzheimer's. Okay. And we could go on and on with that. But, um, but you're interested. And, and we used to say Alzheimer's was non-discriminatory and now it's being shown to be very discriminatory and one of the things we see at the age of 85 for example this it's also true in 65 but let's go at 85 Mm -hmm. 30 percent of caucasians will have it 58 percent of african americans and 62 percent of hispanics will have it And we also see a very high incidence of diabetes among African-Americans and and, um, uh, Mm -hmm. Hispanics. And I think that the two are so correlated. It's, it's, I mean, it's sad, but how, I mean, I've wrestled with this 
how do we keep those two groups from getting diabetes because it would mean so much for their health. Yes, I can, you know, being African-American, I would most certainly agree. Um, my father suffered from diabetes as well. So, um, so now the correlation between diabetes and Alzheimer's. Now, when we say Alzheimer's in this case in connection with diabetes, are we talking about Alzheimer's specifically or other forms of dementia or... <laughs> <laughs> I've done so much for the Alzheimer's Association. When I use it, unless I'm very specific on something, which I'm, it's, uh, I use Alzheimer's to include all dementias. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people do that, doctors included. We yeah. just use that as the blanket. I should say dementia, but yep, uh, yeah, yep. it's, you know, I, it's, a, it's be, become a colloquialism you know, yeah. um, for meaning more than it meant originally. You know, well, so. I do a health fair. One of the biggest questions I get is what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? As I said <laughs> earlier, Alzheimer's is just another form of dementia, the most common type. Okay. Now what, you know, that's a question I can ask you right here. What is the difference between dementia, that form and the other types? What is, how do they distinguish themselves? Well, it all depends. The, etymology of the disease itself and where they attack, how they attack. For example, I mentioned chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That comes from having your bell rung too many times. Mm. In, in the non-football playing world, non-head striking world, if you will, because we are seeing a slightly higher incidence among soccer players from heading mm. the ball, mm. um, we don't see that one. And then we have uh, frontal temporal dementia is common, and that's where uh, you have an abnormal protein in Alzheimer's. You have a different abnormal protein in frontal temporal dementia. So, you know, there's all different ways, but there's over 70 types of dementia. You know, you are an... I'm, I like to say an uncertified authority uh, on dementia. How did you become so passionate about this topic, dementia, Alzheimer's? How did you become so passionate about that? My mother and my mother-in-law both died of a form of dementia. It was never diagnosed exactly what it was. We mm -hmm. will never know if they had Alzheimer's or whatever. They, but it was definitely dementia. They both lost their, you know, just lost their memory mm -hmm. totally. Okay, and. You know, I would like to see this world like we do with polio now. We've gotten rid of polio. I'd like mm. to get rid of all dementias. <laughs> okay. But you, you seem to be quite active. You've referred to several talks you've given. You know, like what organizations are you familiar with or connected with in terms of – Well, your I started um, almost – It'll be five years ago this fall, uh, volunteering with the Alzheimer's Association. And my favorite thing to do is give talks to groups about okay. – uh, why an early diagnosis matters, for example, and the behaviors in communication of somebody with Alzheimer's, the behaviors, ultimately, they can't communicate like you and I are, and their behaviors become their form of communication. Mm -hmm. And likewise, there's good ways or better ways to communicate with somebody with dementia. 
And for example, try never to approach them from the back or side. You will shock them and scare them. Mm. Always, even if you have to go through the kitchen and come back around again, uh, try to approach from the front. And mm-hmm. the other one that I, when I first saw this talk, um, the one, the point that blew me out of the water was you will never win an argument with an Alzheimer's person. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds funny. Explain that one, please. <laughs> well, you can get into an argument day and night with them. Two minutes after you have this argument, ah, they've yes. forgotten all about it. And two months yep. later, you're still upset about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you've been, you've been associated for, with Alzheimer's in a variety of organizations for a little while now. Longer well, than I've... my mother, we first saw something wrong September of 1980. Hmm. And I had never heard of this thing called dementia or this thing called Alzheimer's. And it was mm-hmm. three months later, my mother-in-law sent us this article. But I knew there was something wrong, and I sent a letter. I talked to my father. They were out visiting us. And he said, well, I'm seeing the doctor in two weeks. So I sent a letter to the doctor, again, 1980. And I'll never forget, I wish I had kept his letter. There's nothing wrong with your mother. This is typical aging. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. How old was your mother at the time? She was exactly 68. I say exactly. She was 68. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Typical aging. That was such a uninformed statement <laughs> oh my gosh i mean i mean yeah and um it took a while for doctors to come around to what this thing is called dementia and primary care docs in particular and you know i have all the respect in the world for him because my daughter's a pediatrician <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but they still follow a protocol that's based on our current western thinking of what medicine is you know symptoms and cures on symptoms so yes so yes. it's going to be difficult for them to spot something that's sort of holistic you know so so now you walk around the world giving i'm being facetious here you walk around the world giving um a, Talks on Alzheimer's and dementia. I drive uh, around the world, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're. Literally, the last three <laughs> years on my tax forms, I've averaged 4,100 miles a year. Wow. Yeah. So you're, you're quite active giving these presentations. Yes. I'm, I'd like to put some, some of these presentations in my show notes for this podcast episode for my listeners to refer to. Um, I'd like to hit you up for some of those presentations if I could. You know, so I don't know if you have any PowerPoint slides. Or I send them to you, but I can send them again. Okay, I would appreciate that. You know, so um, I may I may have some of the ones you sent because I know I've asked you about these things in the past, trying to exercise my curiosity. And so, so outside of diet. We, it seems like diet is one way of resisting what used to be called the inevitable when it comes to dementia. We can keep our minds sharp through our diet. We can keep our minds sharp through exercise. If, if we were to diet and exercise, if this culture were to diet and exercise in a different way than it does, do you think the instances of Alzheimer's would be significantly reduced it would plummet it would plummet you are that convinced that it is connected to how we live 
Yes. Not to okay. Yeah, let's put things in perspective. Cardiovascular disease, diabetes, dementia, Alzheimer's included, um, osteoarthritis, they're all vascular diseases. And what's happening is our vasculature that carries the nourishing blood, and blood has two purposes. One is to take the nourishments to the parts of the body. The other is to take away the debris that's been formed right. there. Mm -hmm. And I think people must say that. And so the key with exercise is to keep that vascular system going. And whether it's in our toes, where I happen to have osteoarthritis, uh, mm -hmm. or it's in our brain with uh, some sort of dementia, or it's our heart, we need to keep that vasculature going and, and moving. And it's funny because my son-in-law is a pediatric surgeon, and the only Lensmith theory, because I have some crazy theories, <laughs> that he nodded his head. He said, that actually makes sense that mm – -hmm. My question is, when we do some heavy exercise, even if it's for a few minutes, I think that it's like when you have a garden hose and you have a spot on the driveway and you just let it dribble out, it doesn't do anything to the spot. You put yes. the, the uh, washer on and put it under high pressure, it blows it away. And I think that's the same as true if we put that high pressure of the – uh, blood moving through mm -hmm. by exercise, it takes that spot, that debris that's there out, and now the good stuff can come in and, and replace it. That's a good imagery. I, I think I'll use that imagery. Um, I happen to believe you're right. I tend to you know, see a lot of stuff that's basically addressed through exercise. You know, I've been able to, as you know, I've recovered from a rather devastating accident through exercise, you know, and I continue to exercise that leg that has always given me problems since that accident. So I can't stop moving it because if I stop, it gets worse. <laughs> if I keep on going, it stays good. So, you know, that's my own you personal experience. You have to do that. In my personal story, as I say, I'm crazy. You don't have to do as much as I do by any means. But I had my aortic valve replaced 10 years ago this past March. Hmm. And it was, I was born with one that it's what it wasn't good, but it may, I got through it till 61 and then they had mm -hmm. to replace it. So March 2nd, I had it replaced 2006 on August uh, 12th, five mm -hmm. months and 10 days later, I did a hundred mile bike ride. Yeah, that's uh, you mentioned that to me the other day, and I was flabbergasted. You know, five months after open heart surgery, you were doing a hundred miles on a bike. Yeah, and yeah, then, uh, then all the training to get there, you just don't go out and do a hundred miles. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. the weekend before I had to do an eighty mile ride, and the weekend mm -hmm. before that I did seventy, etc. So. Well, again, you know, you're talking about something both you and I believe in. The, you know, the ex exercise, the the whole. Body's ability to move and recover through exercise is something I've believed in most of my adult life, you know, so, and you're just confirming it once again. I walk around the world seeing confirmations of this. Getting back to Alzheimer's and dementia, you mentioned something very interesting. You said you don't approach a person from the side or from the back. Do you have other 
care tips for people with Alzheimer's? You give talks on this. What are some of the tips you tell people in terms of spotting Alzheimer's or caring for people with Alzheimer's? You know, give me some general knowledge here. Well, I think the biggest thing is when I first got involved, the the name of the talk was Know the Ten Signs, Why an Early Diagnosis Matters. And I was the biggest skeptic in the world because I said, what are they going to do for you? And today I'm one of the biggest disciples for an early diagnosis. Why? One, about 20% of what looks like Alzheimer's, again, or other dementia, is not, and it's reversible. It could be vitamin B12 deficiency. It could Mm -hmm. be anemia. It could be a drug interaction. And I've had several people come to me after talk and say, Len, my mother, my whatever, um, after they changed the meds, all her quote-unquote dementia went away. It could be an infection. Urinary tract infections. Can, How does a urinary tract infection result in dementia? It, in dementia-like symptoms. And, and okay. the pain and everything is so intense that the people actually go into memory issues. Okay. So that, to me, is the number one reason to get an early diagnosis. Is it something else? Mm-hmm. The number two reason, the last number I had, there were, over two, there were 255 clinical trials going on in this country. Well, if they don't know what you have, they're not going to take you in. But if it's mm-hmm. for frontal temporal dementia and that's what you're diagnosed with, you should go into that trial. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's somewhat local. I mean, I would drive sure. to Boston or Washington. I live in New okay. Jersey for this, for the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's I would get into a clinical trial tomorrow if they had it. Okay. And um, it's also to plan your future. In my case, excuse me, being a veteran. Mm-hmm. It takes right now, the, the last thing of the backlog for the closest veterans home is about five months. Wow. Well, why wait till I have to be in a home to yeah, start requesting okay. it? So, yeah, you want to do that. So these are the benefits of an early diagnosis. It gives you time to plan. It gives you, you know, time to understand. Right. And get the planning. Also, get your legal and financial things mm-hmm. in order, how you want them taken care of. Mm-hmm. Your care plan. Who are your? Who is going to take care of you, and how? And those are key issues. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. One question that keeps on coming up, especially because of the things you and I tend to talk about. Do you think this is almost like a blasphemous question to ask? Because when I talk to standard protocol bearers like doctors and hospitals and stuff like that, the answer is certainly no to the question I'm about to ask. Do you think Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia or some forms of dementia are reversible? At this point in time, even I would have to say no. Okay. But if we go back to 1994, I and every doctor there is would have said macular degeneration isn't reversible. If my wife or I come down with it, um, 
we're going to be the spinach eating machines. We're going to make Popeye <laughs> look like he never ate spinach. Uh, but, you know, and I would love to see some people in early stage dementia get spinach kale. Let's go. Collard greens are real good. Spinach kale. Yeah. Get that every day and, and not a small quantity, but at least two meals a day. And uh, let's see what happens. It's funny because getting a study done like that isn't promising because these casks, the ingredients of casks, are not profitable for the pharmacy. Why? Because they're not – they can't patent it. Exactly. Right? So so I'm suspecting that we probably will not be seeing a study like this done anytime soon. I'm hoping NIH will fund it, but um, mm. I, I think you're right. Yeah, and so – um, I'm not sure if NIH would fund it since they are fed by Big Pharma and things like I that. I agree. So, For the record, we should specify NIH's National Institutes of Health, which is – I think it's a phenomenal organization. Thank you. Are you connected with that organization? I'm not. Uh, I okay. wish I was. Now, I wanted to question you about something that you had mentioned to me the other day. I wanted to, to talk about here on the podcast. You were, you've recently gotten involved in art as a approach to dementia. Can you tell me what that's all about, please? There was a phenomenal documentary called I Remember Better When I Paint. It's a 57-minute documentary. You can get it online. I'll put, uh, put it in my show notes. Yeah, it's – um, and Berna Hubner is the co-director, and it's because of Berna's mother, Gilda Gorenstein, that it came about. And uh, her mother had Alzheimer's, phenomenal painter. She was commissioned in 1930 for the Chicago World's Fair to paint – do a pictorial painting history of the U.S. Navy. And she did a great job. And then you see her late 80s, early 90s, and she's just sitting there just, you know, the, and oblivious to everything. And for eight months, they tried to get her to paint again, and she wouldn't. And one day they had a – Jenny was her name, an art – she was the Chicago Institute of Art student. And she came over every day, and she was so frustrated. But one day she got gilded to paint. Hilda, I'm sorry, she came with Gilda. Uh, Hilda, mm -hmm. she got Hilda to paint, and before Hilda died, she had painted over 300 paintings with Alzheimer's. Wow, pretty bad Alzheimer's. In other words, we call it late stage Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when we look at, I mean, that's what this shows is these people who are just sitting there, they don't talk, come alive when we do. Music works well also, but this particular one, while they, they touch on music, is more about art itself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to get this going throughout South Jersey. And there's two, the Alzheimer's Association has one called Memories in the Making, Personally, mm -hmm. I think they've fallen down in our local chapter on that one. And then another one called ARTS, A-R-T-Z, uh, which stands for Arts for Alzheimer's. And that, mm -hmm. uh, they're really doing a nice job. I believe it started Arts Boston, and now we have Arts Philly, and that's um, mm -hmm. connected with them. 
and trying to get that going in, now, in this area. Can you can you describe these programs just a little bit more? Just just a touch more, just to give me a better idea of what these programs consist of. Okay, uh, just to give you an example, the people with um, dementia come together, and we have facilitators, and these facilitators sit and work with them to draw and it's getting them going in things it's not easy but it's amazing mm. what art will come out at the end of the session when their caregivers come in to pick them up they're blown away sometimes by the art that these people have produced really yes that sounds impressive actually and my I, oh, wife by takes the way, care of some um, people like that dr john zeisel started this what's called the non-pharmacologic approach and he has stated that it's probably more effective than drugs at this point in time. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I I just so believe in it. Interesting, interesting. I know you've recently gotten involved in this, and I became very curious. You know, I by the way, I've seen that documentary. I remember more when I paint. Uh, you know, I've seen that based on your recommendation. Oh, you did see it. Good. Yes, I did. Pretty impressive, so, uh, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm encouraging my readers to, you know, who are interested in this topic to, you know, to view this documentary. I will have a link to it in my show notes. Super. So it's it's pretty impressive what they have found and what they do. So I'm I'm kind of excited about it myself. By the way, um, I haven't talked to Hilda in a few months, but... I first showed it October 24th, 2013, and I've shown it about 15 times since. And at that time, she said I was the only person in all of New Jersey who had shown it. Really? Yeah. I just can't get the interesting. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. It is on the. It is out. You can Google it and get a link to it. Oh, I, and, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how I ended up finding it. After I spoke with you, I looked it up and, and saw it. So. like you believe that the way we live is giving us a lot of our ailments and um, I want to this is a condition that I want to address just basically the way we live and how we hurt ourselves from the way we live and so um, if your story can come to light I would it's just another data point of how a better lifestyle leads to a better life and, you know, when I look at you, that's what I see, Lynn, you know, which is why you and I are speaking on this podcast right now. You've had many experiences, some of which you've told me about, that indicate very strongly, a, you know, living better leads to a better life. You know, so uh, I watch the ailments all around me. I just cannot believe some of what people continually suffer with and allow themselves to accept. And so... um yeah, I, I lo love spreading stories like this, and I really want to thank you for sharing yours. Um, I'll do what I can to spread the message of a natural lifestyle, you know, something we have moved away from. As you know, we are moving back toward that. The, the, our culture now is starting to recognize what we've done to ourselves, and there is... It's not the mainstream just yet, but there's a large group of our culture that is recognizing that we have to move back to the earth in terms of away from the earth. You know? And so um, in order to address some of the things that we see around us. Nature knows what to do. 
we're, absolutely. We, we don't read nature right in absolutely, culture. Yeah. Absolutely. From even your example about mother's milk is a great example of the intelligence that we have turned away from. Yes. The, the natural intelligence that we have turned away from. So um, I see you're doing what you're doing. You're doing your part. I'm going to be doing my part. I'm going to be trying to spread this message as well. You're a unique individual. I knew that from when we started talking some months ago, you know, and you've become a, a good friend of mine as well. Your perspectives, especially for a person your age, is quite unique. The, this is why you qualify as a silver inspiration under <laughs> growth works. Well, it's also but, what little hair I have is silver. <laughs> <laughs> That's irrelevant. <laughs> My hair is certainly silver too. <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, like to hear your involvement in Alzheimer's and dementias, to see the, you know, you're not, when I look at you, you, you you're not a, a paragon of of fitness, but yet you are constantly moving around. Not just moving physically, but mentally too. You often throw to me one research after another that you've read and all the rest of stuff. You know, like I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with you when I get your age, and just in terms of the mental activity that you have, maybe physically I might, but your your mind is quite quite intriguing. And then to see what you've done with macular degeneration for yourself. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I hope to be following you for quite a while. I hope we stay the friends that we are. I do too, and I, I appreciate that. So that wraps it for episode number three. The show notes have information and links to many of the things you've heard in this discussion. And you can find those show notes at innergameofaging.com forward slash podcast forward slash IGA3. I have something special for those listening to this today. Len has written up a five-page summary of his experiences and personal solutions to macular degeneration. I am making this available to anyone who makes a comment on the show notes page or reaches out to me directly via the following email address. Lee, L-E-E, at innergameofaging.com I would love to hear from you. You can learn more about Silver Inspirations by visiting silverinspirations.net. Again, no spaces. If after reviewing the information there, you are interested in becoming a Silver Inspiration yourself, please send me an email to begin that process. You can find Len as one of our role models at silverinspirations.net forward slash role models. There's a lot more information coming your way, so hit subscribe on your podcast player to make sure you don't miss any of it. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.